Within you there exists a source of infinite divine energy which will enable you to do supernatural things if you allow it to work within you. The ancient Greeks called this power Energeia and I believe it is alive and well with us to this day. My name is James D. Newcomb. Welcome to the show. Those of you who are my age and a little bit older may recall in the 1970s and 1980s, the 7-Up Soda called themselves the Uncola. And from what I understand, the person, kind of the father of the unschooling movement, a man by the name of John Holt, our guest probably can expound on this a little bit better than I can, but he called it unschooling. He had this weird idea that shipping kids who are six and seven years old off to a separate building, completely foreign from their houses, separated from their parents, their loved ones, and then sending them back, just basically treating them like buckets to fill with knowledge and then face the, the world. He, he thought, maybe there's a better way to do this and go back to the way that children used to learn how to be human beings, not just people who know how to recite facts and figures. So the unschooling movement was born. And now here in 2023, it's doing really well. And we have on the line with us a lady by the name of Judy Arnall, who is the author of a book called Unschooling to University. A lot of the major uh, media outlets in Canada, where she's located, have interviewed her, and she has become uh, really well-known. And she just speaks with a lot of authority, a lot of wisdom, and uh, a lot of grace when it comes to uh, how to raise our children, not just to be knowledgeable, but how to be well-rounded individuals. So, Judy, it's great to have you. Thanks for having me, James. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, can you just give us a little bit of background about yourself, how you got involved in the unschooling movement? We can just take it from there. Okay. I started when I had three children, little kids under five, changed my career to um, educate parents and health authorities on child development. So I studied brain and child development at university and kept up with it. And that was my career. So when I started raising all five of my children, um, I swore to myself I would never punish them. I would raise them without punishment. And that's pretty mainstream right now in Canada is that mode of raising children without punishment. But it hasn't really gotten into the schools yet. So my kids started school, the two oldest ones, and I didn't like what I was seeing. Um, I'm raising my kids in a democracy, and yet they are being educated in a very authoritarian, top-down hierarchy that does use punishments and bribes to get kids to learn. And I know from brain research is that every child learns. If they breathe, they learn. They don't. It's not something they have to be bribed or punished into. So that's kind of where, so it took me about two years of sending my kids to school before I actually pulled them out and started, like everyone else, homeschooling. But that didn't work well because homeschooling is taking the school model and bringing it home, which um, doesn't work very well because your parents, you're safe, kids aren't going to listen to you um, unless you're very authoritarian. So after a while, we just 
slid into just playing and living our lives and being curious and and that's the word called unschooling <laughs> it's not like school at all so that's where we went now how would you describe the difference between punishment and discipline okay that's a good one discipline means to teach and actually we discipline ever since babies are born because we're teaching them constantly as parents and caregivers Punishment is teaching, but it's teaching by method of hurting. It uses hurt or an unpleasant thing to teach something. Where discipline, yes, yeah, it can be consequences. You just opened a couple of questions before we really dive into this, but how do schools bribe children to learn? Oh, in various ways. Usually um, giving them pizza coupons when they read books, bribe them with grades, um, special privileges, like if they finish early and do well, they get to clean the chalkboard, those kinds of things. You alluded to how bringing your children home and doing the homeschooling is basically bringing the school model to your home. And I'd, li I'd like to begin our interview by asking, what is the school model? And my understanding of it is, and you can fill in whatever blanks I leave, is that up until about maybe 1800, 1850 time frame, it was the way that children learned was very similar to what we call today unschooling. But then the Industrial Revolution occurred, and there's this need for warm bodies in these factories to create widgets and whatnot. And so public schools are the what we now call traditional schools, born out of necessity to meet that need. That's right. That's a really good timeline of what happened. And yes, the most people home educated their children for thousands of years, or um, you see kids apprentice in the villages, and then the Industrial Revolution hit. And of course, parents um, had a very big need then, and that was called childcare. So they hired the most educated person in the village to take care of the kids while the parents went off to work. And that has been our system for probably about the last 170 years. Only now things have changed so much. Um, most parents are well educated to teach their own up to about grade eight, even without teacher's manuals. But so there is one thing we've discovered during COVID that we still need, and that's called childcare. We do need childcare for children under age 12, and um, school still fulfills that function. And we're seeing that now with a lot of parents of teenagers wanting to pull their kids out of school because they no longer need that childcare function, but they do need an alternative way for their children to get educated. The system's not working. And how is it not working? Well, when you get 30 same age kids, <laughs> all in the throes of hormones or, you know, just mean kids, there's a lot of bullying. When you when you think there are only three institutions in society where people have to be, it's jail, mental hospitals, and schools. And all three of them are rampant with bullying. But it's not just the bullying. It's, it's the standardization that leaves little room for personalization. It's... Um, it's the non-consensual part of, of learning. Children do not have a say in what they learn. 
they're told what to learn. Whereas we know kids are curious, they're going to learn everything they need to learn when they need it. Um, if you just leave them to their own devices. What about children who so-called diagnosed with things like ADD, ADHD? Do you think that the traditional model of schooling has anything to do with such diagnoses and that some of the attention or children who have a tendency to show a lack of focus? Is that because or how much blame can we assign to this model of teaching children? I think there's a lot of that. Um, I I actually did have a child with ADHD and video games, no problem. No problem with focus right there. Right. <laughs> um, reading Shakespeare, that's a problem. <laughs> so, and schools can accommodate um, children with special needs to a certain extent, but not, they still have to teach a government curriculum because they're funded to do so. Whereas, uh, parent at home can certainly modify anything that their child wants to learn um, if they want to learn it. And that's the beauty of unschooling is if kids don't want to learn it, they don't, they're not forced to learn it. They can spend that time learning something that is much more enjoyable and interesting to them. What are some of the common objections that you hear from parents? Because it seems to me like people would hear what you have to say, and it's so different from what we're taught is the right way so-called to teach children, what you say is very radical. And, and on the one hand, it makes a lot of sense. But on the other hand, we have this fear departing from conventional wisdom, brandished by the tribe as outsiders. I'm just wondering, what are the common objections that you hear when people are entertaining what you have to say about education? Hey, there's quite a, there's a few common ones. Um, one of them is, isn't that giving too much power to the child to, to, empower them to decide what to learn. My stance is that children already have the power. We're just handing it over to them a lot earlier than they would get in after high school. And kids, if they don't want to learn, they act out in class, they tune out when they're teenagers, and when they're old enough, they drop out. So they're wasting everybody's time. Why not empower them to learn what they want to learn and and be excited about learning and curious and, and fun. Um, the other thing question we get is, will there be gaps? And we say, yeah, there will be gaps in knowledge, but any child who goes to public school will have gaps too. You know, there's 195 countries in the world. Not every school can help a child study all 195 countries. They have to pick and choose and why not the learner pick and choose based on their interests? So um, the other one is um, how will kids learn things they should know, but you don't teach them? So things like history, world history. And in my experience of observing the 30 kids I write about in the book is that they're very keen. It, any child is very keen to act grown up, to know what grown ups know to learn about their world, their community. And even now with the internet, I mean, I started this when we didn't have an internet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with the internet, they can, they have everything at their fingertips, every piece of knowledge they have, they can look it up. So it's even better than ever to, to make it more personal to them. Yeah, I was at my son's school. It's a public school yesterday for, I, I, my wife and I have lunch with, with him whenever possible. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I was in that the the cafeteria just looking around, and I thought, you know, because I'm thinking about this interview that's coming up in less than a day, and I'm thinking, man, you know, even if this school wanted to change something that would be to the benefit of a child, uh, to like to update it to the modern <clears throat> times, which are changing at an exponential rate, just the nature of the public school system with its bureaucracies would just make it almost impossible to keep up, to keep up with the way the technology is changing and the way that the world is changing right in front of us. I totally agree. Um, our social studies textbook that is still being used in classrooms now is from 2007. That was before we had smartphones. Right. <laughs> you know, and it takes... 15 years usually to upgrade curriculum in government schools just because there's so much bureaucracy to it. You know, where um, we we still don't know what we're edu- educating kids for. Uh, five years ago, we we had no clue about chat GPT. We had no, or some people had a clue, but the general public didn't. So, and yet I know in our in our jurisdiction, we we teach kids one hour of coding a year, and that is not enough. So, um, and that's the nature of bureaucracy. You mean the public schools teach one hour of coding per year? Yes. At what age? Uh, it starts about grade three. Okay. And what yeah. do you mean by coding? Um, Coding programming. Like web design or? Web design or, I mean, they started with HTML and um, they're doing Python now. But, I mean, those are all things my kids learned on their own. And they had the time to learn it on their own because they they had days and days to fill. I, I think about my child who's nine years old. And he's going to this public school, and he has his own interests, and he 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 does struggle a, a little bit with with school and staying focused and staying uh, on task sometimes. And we've had all kinds of meetings with his teachers and with his mother, and um, nobody seems to want to even suggest that maybe there's an alternate way of doing things other than sending him to this public school. Uh, that, that in all these meetings that we've had, nobody has ever said, well, maybe maybe his dad would like to teach him. They don't ever suggest that because it seems to me like it would be it would not be in their interests to promote something other than what is their their sustenance and their means of putting food on the table. Yes, that sounds pretty much like uh, where we live too. Um, and and you can't blame it. I mean, school is a billion dollar industry. It supports a lot of jobs from bus drivers to teachers to curriculum developers um, to government officials. And we just can't have the public knowing that, you know, their kids can learn pretty well everything they need to learn by surfing the internet and playing video games. I don't want to get that out there. Okay, and because this is an issue for me too, because my son loves to play Roblox and um, Minecraft. So I want to get it from your perspective. How valuable are video games for education? Fantastic. Um, we're obviously we're a gamer family. I have five kids, and they're all gamers from a young age. They played a lot of video games. Um, they learned a lot of critical thinking, problem solving, team player, 
um, cooperation under time pressures. They learned a lot of subject matter. Um, and now I have my engineer actually works for a video game maker. <laughs> and what, what kind of video games? Because some of those video games, you can just get lost and you, you just rot your brain away. But other others, like my, my I love to play Angry Birds when I'm just taking a break from my work. It's mm -hmm. wonderful. It makes you focus. It gives you, teaches you engineering. Like you got to hit that bird at just the right spot to make that thing topple over. It's, it's <laughs> wonderful. I love the game. And I, right. I, and I like that my son is, he's, he loves video games. And it, like you said, there's no attention deficit when he's playing Roblox. Right. But my concern is that if that's all he does, then it, it opens him up to potential addiction to video games like when he's nine years old he doesn't he, he doesn't have the wherewithal to say okay this is enough so as a parent how can i um just guide him in the right way uh, a point is like setting boundaries or time limits on video games things like that that's such a common question i get all the time even even in parenting um first of all video games are not going to rot brains um <laughs> they have a lot of really good educational merits, even the non-educational video games. My kids used to think the educational ones were so lame that they would, they'd be playing World of Warcraft and Roblox and Minecraft and all those ones too, in addition to Call of Duty and, you know, <laughs> every game teaches something. Um, but yes, you're right. Kids don't have that executive function part of their brain mature enough yet to put the brakes on themselves until I've seen that kick in about 16, 17, where my kids would delay buying a game because it was exam season. Even in university, they would wait and, and wait. So that does kick in eventually, that self-control. But you have to be the parent and kind of um, watch to see how much is too much for your individual child. Um, some kids get very antsy. Other kids can play 16 hours a day, right? And with no problem. The other thing I wanted to address too is that the research out there shows that um, most kids in healthy, nurturing families will not develop an addiction no matter how much screen time they have. Because addiction is a brain impairment. It's not a matter of willpower. It's 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 a broken brain. Um, and kids don't get that when they're raised in a nurturing environment. Let's go back to unschooling. Now, we've, we've talked about the difference between unschooling and traditional schooling. And let's say that a family is ready to make the leap. And they decide, come June, whatever is the last day of my child's public school, we're going to send the notice in. Uh, we're taking them out and we're going to give this unschooling thing a shot. What would a family that makes the, this decision expect in the first 90 days, the first year? What, what's that experience going to be like for them? I think it's, it's like summer holidays all year round. Um, it's going to be uh, very relaxing. It's going to be fun. It's going to be you start getting to know each other again. The siblings start de-schooling. De-schooling is when September comes around and they have to get used to not being forced to study a certain number of hours or, you know, the, the school model. Um, 
we tell parents, actually, a lot of parents don't jump right into unschooling. They tend to go into homeschooling first. And then they realize how much kids learn on their own that they're not teaching them. And then they kind of slide into unschooling. Um, but there's there's still times where parents get worried. I know I was one of them. I had times where I, I didn't see anything that looked like formal learning going on. And that's a time that you really need to mark down those times that your kids are learning things or, or have an aha moment. Um, a lot of parents start worrying because their kids do get on screens and, you know, they sit on YouTube all the time and watch videos and it doesn't look like anything they know to be school. And we tell parents, well, it's not going to last forever. Everything has a stage. Your kids are going to get sick of that, um, according to their own schedule and move on to some other interests. It will happen. Um, but parents like to nudge it along a bit. So, yeah, we just tell them to relax, just do what you do all summer, but do it September to June. <laughs> okay. Plus June through September. Got it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking uh, about because I was planning on asking this question. I was, and I thought, I wonder if it's like the person who retires and they just veg out for about three months, but after a, a really short time, they just get the itch to want to be busy and they just go out and find something to do. Is that similar to the de-schooling process? That is so such a good analogy because people worry that they're going to have these empty days to fill when they retire and they won't have any interests or affiliations. And yet the first week they're busy. <laughs> you can hardly get a lunch in. Um, and it's, it's like that with, unschooling and you know you're educating out in the community you have you get into a rhythm like we had every Monday night was our library night and every Friday afternoon was park day with the other homeschoolers you get into a rhythm in a week and it's just that kids find learning in so many things the grocery store the doctor's office you know in the community in the parks in wetlands you name it they find the learning I was wondering if you could um, maybe elaborate a little bit on this concept because I've read a, read about education and listened to podcasts, I think a couple with, with yourself so that I could prepare for this interview. And a, a common theme that I hear among people who are in favor of unschooling and homeschooling, the traditional model of schooling just essentially sucks the joy out of children learning things should be a state of you should be in a state of wonder when you're learning things but 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 then by the time you get to like 16 17 years old um and this is my own experience thinking back to my days in a public school i was 16 and 17 i didn't i i didn't want to learn anything i was just tired of it what what is your take on that i agree um a lot of kids are burning out by about grade 8 so age 13 14 when I looked at my kids, my kids were gearing up for more formal learning. I, I said to them, do you want to do some high school credits, but do it your way? Because they had so much free time and so much time to explore their interests. They pretty well knew what they wanted to do after high school. And I said, well, okay, if you want to be an engineer, you're going to need 
math, you're going to need science. If you want to, and actually four of my kids went into STEM careers. So we had to kind of about grade <laughs> eight, we had to kind of say, okay, maybe it's time to start doing some formal math. <laughs> you know, but they, they're not burning out. They were excited to do more formal high school courses. Yeah, some they were slogging it out because they didn't really like it. But I said to them, hey, kids go to school six hours a day and do this. You're only doing this for an hour a day. <laughs> and they're like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> So yeah, you, you, and those are the years that count. The high school years are the ones that count for post-secondary. So you want kids excited about learning then, not burned out. And what does burnout look like when you're eighth grade and you're burned out? What does that look like? You don't turn in assignments. You start, you know, caring more about the opposite gender or, or a, you know, same gender love interest. Or you you just want to party. You want to try marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at what we did in grade eight and uh, grade eight, grade nine was such a write-off year because we, we were done with school and learning. We just wanted to have fun. Have you ever known a family that has gone the unschooling route and then just found for whatever reason it didn't work and they sent their kids back to a public school? Yes. Yes. There are families that um, maybe one partner is not on board. And that can create a lot of, um, you know, um, problems. Um, sometimes now with unschooling, it needs a facilitator. It needs a parent or it needs a caregiver. It needs somebody actively willing to get kids things that they can't get. They can't, you know, pay for a welding class or they can't get there. Um, and sometimes when there's families with mental health issues, sometimes that attentive caregiver isn't present. Maybe that's not a good fit either. And sometimes parents just need childcare, you know, um, for the earlier grades. So there are times when it's not a good fit for the family. What do you say to a parent who says, yeah, I know that my child, my eighth grader is burned out, but I have to teach my child the virtue of sticking through it and working through that burnout and having that goal of graduating high school, I want to teach my children that virtue of just sticking with something until you're done. How, what would you say to that person who's like adamantly opposed to unschooling and is sold on public school or bust and they say, this is just part of the process? Yes, we we get those questions all the time. We really do. And I, I say to them, well, um, there are many other venues or um, things you sign your child up for that they can practice stick to itness. Um, I don't I call it grit. <laughs> grit. Um, so when they, for example, say they start a lawn mowing business and day two, they hate it. They want to quit. That's an example where you can say, you know what, why don't you give it another week and see how it goes there or signing up for girl guides, you know, committing to a soccer team, even committing to a guild when you're playing World of Warcraft or League of Legends. You you can't quit right in the middle or people will get mad at you. <laughs> and they learn that quite a lot. They really do. Uh, I'm, the reason I ask is because my my own child who I'm bringing in this, into this conversation again, he was like 
fired up about jiu-jitsu about five, six months ago. And we got him into the lessons. And now he's like, I don't want to do it. I don't want, I don't want to go. And as a parent, I'm thinking, I know that you don't want to do it in this moment, but at the same time, I have to teach him the value of, you made a commitment. You said that you're going to do this and you can't, uh, like, I, I feel it's incumbent on me to teach him, you just have to slug through these negative emotions and so you, you can't just quit something just because you don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. If you made a commitment, you make a commitment. And if you have a valid reason, like if he, sa- if he has a good reason as to why he shouldn't do jiu-jitsu, then I'll accept it. But I'm not, I'm not going to accept, I don't want to do it just because I don't want to do it. I've really struggled with this myself. And I would ask the kids to stick it out for, you know, a certain number of times like one or two or three times. And if they don't want to do it, drop it. Um, there's It serves nobody any purpose. It wastes your time and money. It wastes their energy and good feelings to force them to do it. I, I had a six-year-old who signed up for soccer and would not play all season. And I made him sit on the sidelines with his shirt on and brought him to each game, even though he refused to play. And finally, about, you know, a month later, it dawned on me, this is serving nobody any purpose. (laughs) But uh, the other way to teach kids that is not to force them to do it, but it is to model it yourself. You know, when you sign up that you're going to a Toastmaster meeting, and you don't feel like going a half an hour before and you say to the kids, but I committed myself. So I am going I'm going to drag myself to that meeting. You were showing them what adults do. You've already mentioned this very briefly, but you were talking about when children are getting to be a little bit older, high school age, they're thinking about where they're going to go to college, what they're going to study, what they want to be when they, quote, grow up. And you said something along the lines of that might be the time where it's appropriate for them to enter um, more formalized education, such as math or science. And what is your take on, and you wrote the book, Unschooling to University. So what is the process of <clears throat> parents and children working in tandem to make that plan, to go from that not as structured learning environment to prepare to, for a more structured learning environment, such as a university? So when I asked my kids, I said, what, what do you think you might want to do for a life's work? And they said, you know, engineering, biochemistry, English teaching. I said, okay, well, this is what you're going to need. You're going to need a little, you're going to need credits at high school level in grade 12. None of my kids did any formal education until grade 10 in science, history, geography, English. They did a grade eight math course. That was their first introduction to math on paper. They could get through eight grades of math in one year, Um, not because they started at grade one and went to grade eight. They did it because they learned math through their play, through the video games, through their activities in the community, but they never really sat down and did paper math. So working out how to add fractions or multiply or divide. So in grade eight, they learned it. They learned how to do all the calculations on paper and they were ready because they had their abstract thinking skills done. So then they skipped grade nine and then they did grade 10, 11 and 12. 
um, sometimes it was very hard for them, but they they soldiered on because they knew they needed math to go into STEM careers. Um, and it was them being motivated to, you know, ask me to hire a tutor or or to get on Khan Academy and learn through there. Um, and that's another resource teachers won't recommend is Khan Academy. That got my kids through a lot of math and science. I'm sorry, what is the name of this academy? Khan is K-H-A-N Academy. And um, Bill Gates has, through a lot of funding at them, they their goal is to teach the world math for free. I think the beauty of Khan Academy is kids can self-teach they through the videos. So if they're stuck in a concept, they can play it over and over and over again. And um, it was really helpful. They do everything from kindergarten to even university level math and science. Yeah. And because, and again, public schools or teachers will not recommend that to their parents because they're funded through governments to teach. So. You know, even though it might help a child with um, homework, they they often don't recommend it. Yeah, you're not going to refer a client to a competitor. No, you're not. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's how my kids kind of did high school. And um, and then university was, they loved university. They, it was, um, yeah, it took a bit of an adjustment, but it takes kids in public school adjustments too, to a way where, um, nobody's going to nag you to turn anything in. Um, you show up if you want to show up. Um, if you don't, nobody really cares. <laughs> it was much more of a self-directed learning experience for them. Do you ever encounter like any kind of a power struggle between families that want to more or less take ownership of the education of their children versus the government schools who say, thanks for bringing them into the world, but we'll take it from here. Do you ever sense anything like that as far as any tension between these unschooling families and the government schools? Yes, there definitely is a lot of um, misinformation going around schools on on parental rights. I mean, every parent who has a child um, has the authority to direct their education. And what they do when they sign a child up for school is they hand over that authority and the schools talk like, oh, they're um, letting the parents homeschool. And yet, no, we're saying, no, that is our right. We're retaking re re back our authority to educate our child. And it's interesting because um, during COVID, there was quite, quite a revolution because at least in Canada, um, a parent doesn't have to teach when they homeschool, they can farm it out. <laughs> we say there's a general contractor and then they can hire out to um, childcare professionals, to tutors, to pods, to co-ops, to, um, or just, you know, empower the kids to self-teach. So the parent isn't the expert. They are the, the procurement of their child's education. They are responsible. And then yeah. So when they sign their kids up for school, then they're handing over the responsibility to the schools and get very little say. Um, I, I think it's great that um, um, I think your your lovely wife, um, you want to you want to do what we call after schooling. So <laughs> um, when we perceive their shortfalls in the public system, 
we want to supplement after school. And I did that for a while too. And I just felt that the school gets the best part of my child's day when they're alert, they're they're happy in the mornings, and I get the dregs at the end of the day. And that's when I thought, no, we're I'm gonna get them a little sooner. <laughs> so so yeah, it's it's good that you know you want to try everything. And believe me, there are kids who love school. There are mostly girls. <laughs> They love school and I wouldn't want to take those kids out. If they love school, it works for everyone. They're happy. Now, let's say that um, people are listening to this and they're like, uh, they want to investigate further. How can they know more about you? And then let's say that they want to maybe check out the local laws in their, wherever they happen to live and um, say, how feasible is this? Where would you direct such a person? Okay. Um, Most unschooling is, all of it is undertaken under home education regulations in um, state, provinces, countries, wherever um, you have to follow the home education regulations because you just can't do this in schools because of the funding from the government. Um, and if you want to know more, um, I do have a book out called Unschooling to University. It's available and you can order it from any bookstore you want. Um, I have a blog by the same name. So it's unschooling to university.com. It's got a really good frequently asked questions section because you name it, we get it. <laughs> um, and also, if you want more parenting advice, I also have a parenting blog, um, which is judyarnell.com. So I have lots of resources on there for non punitive relationship focused parenting. Well, this has been wonderful. And we're just about up to our allotted time limit, uh, but I will have everything that we've mentioned in this interview and probably a few things more at the show notes, which you can find at jamesdnewcomb.com forward slash Judy, jamesdnewcomb.com forward slash Judy. Judy, this has been wonderful. I'm so glad that we were able to connect. We met through our mutual, mutual friend, Ben Greenfield, and um, I, you were contributed to his parenting book, and I really liked what you had to say. And I also listened to your podcast with him a few years ago. And uh, I'm, I'm just really glad that this worked out. This was really beneficial for me personally. I, I, I got a lot of questions answered, uh, a lot of just a lot of really helpful information. And also thank you to my beautiful wife for adding her insights. It's very much appreciated. But hopefully we can do this again sometime. But uh, until then... Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me, and it was lovely meeting you both. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want you to discover the energia that is within you that will allow you to accomplish great and mighty things on this earth. To learn more about the show and to connect with like-minded individuals, go to the web at energia.live. That's E-N-E-R-G-E-I-A dot L-I-V-E. Energia.live. Thank you for listening.